Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Captain America's husband, Ian Carlos Crawford. And today, I'm joined by a bunch of Scoobies. Uh, in this corner, I have my Scarlet Witch. Hi, it's Liza. <laughs> <laughs> in the other corner, we have our Thor. Adam Sass, very much Thor. <laughs> and also with us, we have recently stitched up, and that's not even a joke, Dr. Strange. Hi, I'm Dr. Strange, and my hands are covered in stitches, and I'm regretting all my choices. <laughs> <laughs> and then, last but not least, we have hot cardigan-wearing Hulk. Oh, I'm so in love with him. Hi, it's Anthony Oliveira. How is everybody? <laughs> I was not prepared for this Hulk look. The Hulk look. <laughs> oh my like... god, no. I was I was really upset. I was like, oh god, does he look hot? And then I was like, oh god, he is really hot. <laughs> Look, he's definitely hot, but Husky Thor will have my heart until the end of the universe. I was texting my friend immediately afterwards. I was just like, someone made this movie just for me because they were like, <laughs> let's make, yeah, let's make Thor very husky and let's put uh, Hulk into a pair of glasses. And I was like, oh God, I'm in trouble. Like it was, 20 it's minutes the into salt this movie. and pepper hair that really does it though. For Hulk, yeah. Yeah, like whoo. <laughs> Oh my god, like so, like he's going to teach some class and some lucky bunch of depths are going to just get that class. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I think the scene that like, and I, this is so stupid, but like, I don't know why, but the scene for Hulk, at least, that really did it for me was when he like rips off his shirt and he's like, this is gratuitous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know why it's any different from when Hulk would be shirtless in the other movies, but it just is. Because he's it's conscious the- and kind of guilty of his performative masculinity, which is yeah. so attractive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> nothing hotter than when he hucks that motorcycle off to the side, like that casual, like, huck. Oh my like- God. <laughs> I love that, like, no matter how many clothes he wears, he's still, like, for all the foot gays out there, like, they were, like, st- he was still barefoot <laughs> in the whole movie. Like, what is, the- what is happening here? The shoe is a difficult piece of engineering. I think we can agree. I mean, he does manage to make them their time travel outfits though so there's really no excuse <laughs> i was gonna say yeah they made a time travel outfit for a raccoon so i, I truly <laughs> i truly believed that um what's her face from the incredibles was gonna walk out and and be like um now these super suits <laughs> and, uh, and the I was like who designed it yeah <laughs> yeah it is the most like here's an action figure costume they don't need them and they'll disappear as soon yeah. as they time travel but well, and what's weird is the action figures, which you will all see on the cover for this episode, they that they released in those outfits all are gray and black, not white and black. I don't know why. I'm assuming probably the original design was gray and then they probably changed it after the figures were made. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there was tons of committee meetings on, no, it should be white. No, it should <laughs> So anyway, we're here to discuss Avengers Endgame, which I think I forgot to mention. <laughs> we're off to a great start. This is so. Uh, this is exactly what you wanted. We've already covered the chronological <laughs> wardrobe design <laughs> and horniness. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah. I think I'm like too horny for the Avengers. I don't know what my problem is. No. There's gonna be. There's gonna be some people like in 20 years who are gonna be like, I was seven years old. I was watching Endgame, and that's when I got my first complicated feeling. <laughs> it's not not a fetish movie. <laughs> Wait, Adam, that's funny because my mother always says she can pinpoint the first time she quote unquote lusted after a man. And it was because like they grew up in like this like poor area in New Jersey and 
JFK came to visit their school, and she always says that he's the first man she ever lusted after. <laughs> what a story! <laughs> yeah, that was not going I was, where I thought it would. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting to hear IRL JFK at your mom's <laughs> origin. Like, I was gonna say, I think uh, my first my first time I was attracted to a man was the Red Ranger. So very similar, very okay. similar. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so we've all seen this movie more than once. Brian, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience seeing the movie? Because I think you probably have the most interesting story. So I was just scrolling around the internet, like looking for something to write about, kind of just absentmindedly doing nothing. And then I saw that they were doing a 56-hour screening at two locations God. in New York City, which is every single one of the 22 movies back-to-back. Um, and I wrote to my editor and said, how funny would it be if I did this and just, like, just like went insane and then wrote about, like, what kind of, like, weird mental illness, how my mental illness mixed with the mental illness of the theater and whatever. And he was like, no, you have to do it. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. And he was like, no, please do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I really enjoy the Marvel movies, obviously. Um, and so I was like, all right, let me do this. Let me just see if I can just go for during the day. Or I ended up staying for basically the whole thing. Uh, and I chose the Alamo Draft House versus the lows for the obvious reasons of if you're going to be in a movie theater for three days why would you why would you go to amc uh lows um and so i went to the alamo draft house and i i the hubris i thought that i would that it would be real easy because it's just basically binge watching but it was uh it was insane and i i wrote up a little diary of like all my notes of everything that kind of transpired over the course of the marathon but my initial viewing of the movie was uh, three days of no sleep, eating complete garbage, and trying like desperately, like like um like a rat to like keep myself clean. Smelling <laughs> nice. I was truly believed the Avengers. I truly, truly believed one of the actors from the movie was going to come out afterward and like congratulate us. And I had been like <laughs> convincing people, and they were like, "You are so delusional and not well." <laughs> <laughs> so the first time I saw this movie it was great because I was just on an adrenaline rush the second time I saw this movie I could like sit down and digest it piece by piece but I am completely biased because this was just a huge victory lap for the like like we were braver than the US Marines <laughs> did any like stunning revelations about the, the series when watched back to back come through for you like kind of yes I mean it makes it more apparent the studio decisions of tone for the entire universe kind of shift after the dark world didn't really work. And then winter soldier, it's a good movie, but it it is like, it's rough. It's a war movie. You can see the tone shift. You can also see storylines that they completely drop and never bring up again. And you can see the political shifts. So the movies are really at the beginning, they're really um, suspicious of government and they're suspicious of like globalization. And they, they clearly hate people from the middle East. And then as like, I guess global politics change, the movies themselves change. And at the beginning with Hydra, there's not a ton of like overt they're Nazis other than bringing up Hitler and the fact that it's World yeah. War II. And then towards the end, they make it clear how like how like disgusting the group is. And there's a lot of like, I don't know, I, I guess there's a whole Trump influence that comes in around like the Black Panther of it all mm-hmm. that definitely stretches through Captain Marvel, which is just like a love letter to Hillary Clinton. And it, <laughs> it's it's kind of an amazing way to to view the movies because 
you are really like speaking of time travel you are really journeying through time the movie the initial iron man movie opens up with a discussion of myspace and digital cameras (laughs) (laughs) and and it's also crazy to see the point at which success comes in and you can tell that the studio has lots of money lots of power they can bring in a-list actors for two second cameos but at the beginning that is very much not the case and hulk is probably the toughest watch because it's just so tonally different so politically different it it's just it doesn't fit with the other movies at all. The the Ang Lee Hulk, that one? No, the the Incredible Hulk oh, with oh, Edward okay. Norton. Yeah, that movie, by the way, is that Edward Norton Liv Tyler Ty Burrell love triangle movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ty Burrell? That's the only yeah. one I haven't seen, so I'm horrified. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're fine. I, I think... <laughs> you don't need to. And I think Liv Tyler and Edward I know people like shit on Chris Hemsworth and uh Natalie Portman's chemistry, but Liv Tyler and Edward Norton have like negative they clearly hate each other yeah Um, and her lips are so pillowy that you can't help but take her side and then (laughs) then you hate the main character of the movie and it's tough although i will say you do see edward norton's feet and they look normal wow we're having a little foot uh theme emerge this i don't 10 minutes in it's the foot episode yeah i'm not into feet but something about hulk's feet in that first movie is really uncanny valley like they don't actually touch the ground in some way like Mm -hmm. they they weren't quite there with the cgi to like make the dirt react right. correctly so i couldn't help but stare at everyone's feet for this entire franchise <laughs> the entire cast of that movie yelled at me once <laughs> go on <laughs> that movie was filmed in toronto it's very toronto if you know the city like the the harlem scene there's a scene where he's like bounding through fields that's very much the university of toronto but the harlem scene was all filmed on the main it's the same strip actually that um batman chases the joker and harley on at the beginning of suicide squad Um, but it was massively redressed and i was working for the toronto film festival at the time and i had been working 36 hours straight because it was in the early days of digital when we're all on myspace and stuff and we had to manually (laughs) process everyone's film orders and i walked out a side door uh like in a daze and i walked onto like a flaming Harlem set and I was in the shot <laughs> while they were filming <laughs> and all, the whole crew turned to yell at me. It was terrible. That's amazing because I actually said when that Harlem scene happened because I live right there, I was like, this is not Harlem. And then they clearly CGI in the Apollo to be yeah. like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the Apollo is CGI'd over a strip club in Toronto, like the seediest, Incredible. you will get lice if you go there, strip club. Yeah. <laughs> mm, a lot of... A lot of superhero movies do that, right, Anthony? They film in Toronto instead of, like, whatever big city they're supposed yes. to be. Yes, um, even the yeah. Titans TV show. Like, I could do, like, a walking tour being like, this is where the Joker lands on a car and dies. Like, it's very... <laughs> <laughs> well, as somebody who lives in Los Angeles, I can show you no locations where anyone films anything. <laughs> Just real housewives. I'm like, this uh-huh. is where um, Dancing with the Stars is taped. <laughs> end, end of list. Uh, so back to Endgame. I... I, God, I'm like, where do, where the fuck do you start with this movie? So the movie has very clear three acts, right? Yeah. I think the first act is maybe the weakest, but I think it's purposefully the weakest. I don't know. Well, I would say weakest, it's quietest. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like, I kind of like how quiet it is, actually. Ian equates quiet films with weakness. <laughs> That's revealing. <laughs> Uh oh, Carol Twitter's coming for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Carol. As it should. <laughs> so my issues are like it all happens too fast, but I know that that's on purpose, right? Because they need every piece to be in exactly where it's supposed to be for Act Two. 
Uh, well, I kind of I- liked the gag of it going really fast. They're, they're like, hey, we got Captain Marvel. Here we go. Let's go. We're in the planet. Here we go. Opie's dead. It's like, wait, we're 15 minutes in. Something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, the thing everybody expected to happen happens like first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the note that it is a vast tonal shift between the three acts is also, I think, important. Like it really is. Yeah. Three mo- it, well, part of the movie kind of feels like I felt like it was 22 short movies about the Avengers. Like that was my, <laughs> yeah, that was my feeling watching this. Like there's passages where it's just like, well, we're doing the, the dopey plot of the time travel. Now we're doing the Thor comedy plot. And now we're doing this like melodrama on Vormir. Like, there are definitely like passages of like seven minutes that just lift out at a time. For sure. I, I always I always lose interest during action sequences. Like they're not my thing. So the last movie, the last third of it is the part that interests me the least, even though I know it's the most fan servicey, but Anthony, I just rolled my eyes at you in case you were wondering. <laughs> Same, to be honest. <laughs> I'm on board with Anthony. Like when it's when it's like the whole big like splash panel thing of like, we have five hundred people in this scene. I'm like, all right, I'm I liked it, but I understood that I liked it because it was a gimmick and an ama- it's gonna make an amazing pe- poster and all the fan right. art's gonna be cool. But because it, it, it was sort of like um pop rocks, like the minute you're there in your mouth, you're like, Oh my god, look at that. And then when it's <laughs> over, you're like, that was just sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I, w- I would like to touch upon Captain Marvel, okay, because I feel like it's very weird that she was built up to be like, oh, she's gonna fuck Thanos up, this is it, she's coming in, she's gonna fucking crush everything, and she's in the first 10 minutes, and then in the last 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and I don't understand, I like, I, I plot-wise, I get it, they had her communicator say, Oh, I'm you're not gonna see me for a while. I'm off world like helping planets. But it felt I... like they could have been like, Hey, Carol, I know you're busy, but can you come back? Because we gotta do this important time travel thing. And you are clearly the most powerful one. So I don't think I understand the magnitude of her power at all. You think so? I don't think she walks in there and is like, Oh hey guys, by the way, like I can blast through an entire ship and like come out unscathed. Like she kind of mm. keeps it low key. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, um, you know, judging from what I've heard, this is sort of a frequent thing that happened with these final two Avengers movies was um, they filmed both of these and like Infinity War was actually filmed like, uh, or no, um, Endgame was filmed before Captain Marvel. So it feels, it felt like they were just like, ah, she's, she's, she's Captain Zoom. She zooms around. She does things. She gets hit and she doesn't blank. Like, and this is it. And I feel like Captain Marvel, like the film, like actually did, she's not this invincible, she's powerful. I don't know. I feel like there was, it was definitely shaky on the rules of what she could and couldn't do. And yeah, I mean, you can even tell with like her hair and makeup, I think that, that this was shot earlier because like her hair and makeup are so drastically different. And I get the time has passed, but she just looks so drastically different just from like a, um, I guess just like an editorial perspective of like what, who her character would be. And I could feel like that they really figured out all of that when they were making Captain Marvel and not necessarily like Mm. for this two second, like scene that they were going to just film. Did not feel like the same person. Right. And like, I'm like anyone who knows me knows I'm ride or die for Brie Larson and would like lay down my life for her (laughs) to a point where it's like uncomfortable. But I don't think that she was comfortable in it because she hadn't shot Captain Marvel yet. So it's a lot of her just standing there, like kind of brooding and because she had nothing to base the character off of, because we famously know that like 
when Marvel is filming these movies, they don't even give them the right script. Oh, like, yeah, for yeah. sure. So, like, you could just tell that she, like, wasn't, like, she just didn't know what to do. And that's, not, I don't think it's her fault. Yeah, it's like being, being pushed on stage with the Beatles and being like, you're one of the Beatles now. And you're like, <laughs> I haven't played any solo shows yet. <laughs> right, so, like, I think she, my hot take, I guess, is that obviously I would have loved if the movie was, like, 99% Captain Marvel. But I think it was as balanced as it could have been. And I'm not mad that she wasn't in it the whole time, I guess. Yeah, oh, I'm, okay. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, this not to be all Dr. Oliveira for a sec, but this is like actually an old problem. Um, when they, they were writing the Argonauts way back, like you put her, you put Hercules <laughs> on the team and then you immediately have to w- have find a way to sideline him because he's overpowered compared to the rest of the team. Uh, Stanley talks right. about this problem actually with the early issues of the Avengers, where he realized he had to write the Hulk out of it very quickly because he was overpowered compared to the rest. Um, and I think that's kind of what it feels like the architecture of the script is doing. It also seems like it's hedging its bets because it didn't know if Captain Marvel had bombed, they didn't want right, it to yeah. be built into the spine of the script, right? Because then it would have... It. I feel like it's hedging its bets about her the same way that Brie Larson is kind of hedging her bets about how she behaves here. Like, if you don't like Captain Marvel, if that film had been a disaster, well, she only does like two things in this one, right? Yeah. Right, and I agree, but like, lol, maybe they shouldn't have waited ten years for the first female movie to like edge <laughs> know, their right. bets on. Like, okay, yeah, and it's crazy that right. their most powerful character, basically the Superman of this Justice League, was held back because it was like, but she's boobs, so that's gonna be hard to tell. I will say that her fights with Thanos feel like pure like Jim Starlin comics, right? Like, oh, it's, totally. It's so nice to have that sort of elevated cosmic level beings actually fight in this instead of like the whole first movie you're like well Thanos is so strong they can't do anything about him it takes six people just to like make him not flex for a second and have her just like (laughs) immediately like the fact that we want more of her means they kind of did their job right right because it's like oh she's actually great and like it would have been cool if she did more and I get why at a script writing level you're like she cannot be in this movie because it would be (laughs) two minutes long she would go back she can get just grab the infinity stones there's no story anymore. <laughs> I get it from that angle. I think also, like, narratively, um, there's, she has fewer, like, watching her battle Thanos is lower emotionally than, say, Scarlet Witch battling Thanos. Because yeah. we know, like, we have sort of a previous standoff between them. We have her having right. lost vision. We have, like, a lot of this heft. And while um, Captain Marvel did lose Nick Fury it's really not as like on the screen, you know, is immediate as say yeah. watching, um, you know, any, any of them yeah. go head to head. I mean, there's it. really no indication she's had any contact with Fury for 30 years, right? Like we have, we right. have no idea yeah. what the status is of the Rambos. It's like, she has the least stakes for anybody in this movie. So it makes sense that she'd be like, I'm busy. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, and that's the thing that, that I mean, not to jump around, but like the way that we send off Iron Man is very different than how we send off Black Widow just because we did not service Black Widow's character as thoroughly as we did Iron Man over the last Once again, movies. because Pitts. It was very yeah. striking on second view that like Iron Man it gets was- a funeral. She doesn't. Yeah. I took my mom to see this the third time and oh boy, does she have a lot of questions. She started saying who is that the moment we saw Ant-Man. That was like the first of many who is that. Which is great because Ant-Man's whole arc in the movie is openly who is this. Yeah. <laughs> but like my mom at Tony's funeral, my mom was like, why don't they have a second wreath for Black Widow? And I was like, 
you're not wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> it would have been almost worse though, because then it's like, and I guess we'll put her in this lake too. Like <laughs> she has no connection to that spot. She doesn't get her own lake. <laughs> well, because it was like, what would be? Because like you know, he had so much like iconography with his you know his chest piece, pal. You know that they put in the lake and be like, what yeah. are they? Gonna Black Widows in the, in um, the her lake. really bad haircut from the first. Right, I was going to say, how many wigs? <laughs> the go full on this wig. Draft? Oh my yeah. god, that would be amazing. <laughs> okay, wait. Now I want to talk about something that I didn't realize was like an issue. I love the like reverse grief ombre yes. that she has going on in the five oh, years later. God, no. uh, I love it as a fuck you. I love it as like she just right. like she's just spent twenty years getting grief every time her hair shows up in a movie, and Scarlett Johansson is just like fuck you no maintenance <laughs> like i love that i love that it is absolutely not designed for the male gaze it looked like she like bleached all the red out of her hair herself at home and listen <laughs> without that red she clearly wasn't up to the challenge it looked like a tiger tail donut it's my space scene queen whose mom won't buy her hair dye anymore <laughs> <laughs> Um, Liza, you might have just put your finger on exactly why I like it. <laughs> that tracks the end. <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm ant. I think that the second that they started doing, like, the whole Natasha and Hulk are, like, fucking thing, they ruined Black Widow in the MCU and just, like, never recovered from it. Wait, Liza, can you tell me why you don't like it? I just, I mean, it's, I don't like it for the same reason that I like that the main romance in Captain Marvel was between two friends and it wasn't like I just think they didn't know how to utilize her because men have been writing all this so they just were like oh like let's give her a romance and it just I mean I know Scarlett was like pregnant at the time so they were like hiding her stomach behind like pillows and shit I think they just fucked her and I don't like Scarlett Johansson either so it's just like this mess of like oh, well, I don't like you, and they don't know what to do with your character, and you're, like, the only woman we've got, mm. so I have to like you because feminism. <laughs> what kind of plot would you like? What kind of arc do you wish now that her story is kind of told? I mean, we're getting the prequel series, but, like, what would you have liked? Are there moments, like, switch points where you're like, I wish this had happened instead? I wish this storyline had been developed? Or is it just, like, there's just a dearth of storylines for her altogether here? I admittedly... I'm like, in terms of the comics that I've read in my life, I've like never read a Black Widow comic. So I don't even know what I would want. Mm. I just know it's not what I got. <laughs> I mean, they could have given her like an alias style storyline where she's like, I think this is right now. I think these people are right now. All Everything I know is turned upside down and like sort of super spy funness of like allegiances and stuff. Mm. But instead, like we saw her. Uh, like uh like there was sexual tension between her and tony then it was cap and her are they are they gonna end up together then it was the hulk and like by the end it was like she could do things besides like date broken men <laughs> yeah i mean this was definitely the movie where i realized that they have for the past 10 years tried to pair her up with everybody because like everybody had their own little grief moment and i was like oh wait yeah i guess they had a thing too so i do think uh in this movie unfortunately i think it's winter soldier and this are the strongest for me, she's ever been written, um, which is a shame because then she dies in this movie. But I so when I started reading Avengers, like X-Men was the only comic I read for a while as a kid. When I got into like basically everything Marvel because the pharmacy my mom would go to get prescriptions filled had like, you know, one of those comic book spinny racks. And I would just buy like whatever comics they had. Uh, when I got into Avengers, Black Widow was the leader. 
it was like in the 90s when they all wore those like awful brown leather jackets as part of their uniform that had like an A on the corner. Uh, so I always feel like a weird love towards that era. And I really liked her as a leader. So I that's the Black Widow I always think of in my head just because that was my first introduction to her as like, I think of her as like, oh, the Avengers leader. And it was all like weird B and C list characters, which I loved. Um, so I liked seeing her kind of take on that role in this movie. But then, of course, she dies. So then it's like, oh, this is the Black Widow I've been wanting. And then it's... Right. But at the same time, she dies. And I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But like, when I have to... If I have to pick between Hawkeye and Black Widow, I'm like, <laughs> okay, either of you can just like fuck off. Like, it was the stakes were so low for me. I hate that Hawkeye survives just because he has Velma from Scooby-Doo and their boring family to go back to. It was to. such a weird decision to make. And like, I understand that like the general population like doesn't hate Jeremy Renner like I do and like thinks right. that MCU Black Widow is fine, but oh, like dear. really? Really? Those are the pe- two people you pick for that like emotionally heavy scene? See, I did like it. For me, I was like, oh, it's clearly going to be Hawkeye because no one cares about that character is what I kept thinking. And then I was like completely wrong. Um, But then I thought even when she dies, I was like, Oh, but we know there's going to be a movie. So she's going to come back in the end. Right. And then she didn't. Well, yeah, the movie is a prequel. Um, I think I just don't like at a narrative level that there's kind of this hole we keep throwing women into in the Marvel universe, you know, like this Vormir thing where it's just like, yeah, I don't love that. I also, again, I agree. I don't care for this, like, well, he has, a like, the most heteronormative, like, he has a family yeah. and therefore must live. And she is a, I mean, she's established canonically as barren right. in this universe, right? She can't conceive. It's like, I don't like that. Um, and I don't like the way she's being made to argue for the, the justness of her own death here. Um, but I get that they... I mean, at a basic level, Scarlett Johansson wants to exit this franchise. <laughs> Jeremy Renner still yeah. wants his paycheck. So <laughs> it was the second time watching them like battle each other to see who was going to jump off this cliff first. It felt like such a race to see who could get out of this franchise fast enough. Like, it was, <laughs> no, it's me. I want out. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to do the press tours anymore. Please let me jump. <laughs> Isn't that the funny thing that the female actress is actually has more pull with audiences and has more career opportunities and is a more established performer. And the male instead uh, like gets to survive, gets rewarded because he's so boring. Like, I guess it's a galaxy brain take. But it's like it couldn't be clearer that like she won the popular vote. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just interesting watching her like almost fridge herself. Yeah, I, I did. I actually. So I will say I'm. I don't hate either of those characters like as much as Liza does. I they definitely are for me. <laughs> Drag me. <laughs> They're like definitely the least interesting. <laughs> Like in the first Avengers movie, for me, those two were always the least interesting, but right. it's because I've always been craving more superheroes and less secret agents. I mean, for right. me, this is about how the Marvel Netflix shows, like a lot of times they felt like a Law and Order episode because there were so mm-hmm. few superpowered people and everyone is just a fucking cop. Um, right. And I do feel like in the early Marvel, <laughs> instead of making everyone a cop, it was just like, everyone's a spy. Everyone's a sh- agent of shield. And for me, while I do like the show agents of shield and am super behind on it, I didn't want more just like a spy soldiers. I don't know. Like I wanted them to have cool powers and be, See, and Hawkeye is is interesting in the comics. They just decided yeah. that he they weren't going to do any of that. They were just going to make him like a agent of shield who uses a bow. And like that's just not. I can't stand him. I just fucking hate him. <laughs> Same. All the, wait, also, all that being said, I actually really love them. 
I like their relationship because they're friends. For me, the reason it lands mm-hmm. is because it's not a forced romantic relationship. It's yeah. these are two like partners that have been like spies together for to assume a very long time and they care about one another. So for me, I liked like when they put their heads together, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, are they going to kiss? That's going to be really annoying. Yeah. And then they didn't. And I was very happy they didn't because I always love a friendship storyline over a romance storyline. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I liked them because like they did like they were almost like Dawn and Xander where they bonded over being flops. <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> Tell about me podcast. What they, what they were clearly doing, and I don't know if this tracks, Ryan, with your experience watching everything back to back. I can't believe you did that. Um, <laughs> but, so Black Widow shows up in, in Iron Man 2. So you really have like 10 years of, of Black Widow just watching her kind of like be really early incepted as this just sort of basic cat suit mama like i don't like before and they tried to like yeah. retcon her, like no she was this and no she was that like people kind of it was, it's like that when you're doing a storytelling thing and and, and the, the next person sort of adds on to it and just they kept trying to like really flesh out so it, it felt like she was this whole character fully mm-hmm. conceived from the get-go and and you know really they didn't start really getting to it to the to about now which is why i guess i'm glad that they're gonna do the black widow movie now that they've sort of got her see i liked that in the first movie or in the first movie not in the first movie i like that in the first avengers movie in the original like avengers assemble moment that they gave her enough that we could color not just like her history and stuff like that because i don't think that we got deep into that yet i think that was more winter soldier but it was a we got to see how she fights and how her personality works and her dynamic with other people, especially that scene with Loki where she like cons him into yes. telling her information that or the very beginning with the movie opens and she's pretending that she's losing uh, a torture like thing with these like, yes. random terrorists. That stuff like that was the best part of Joss Whedon for me was stepping in and being like, this is how this person fights. This is their personality. This is how they approach conflict. That stuff is super informative and strong. And then um they took that character development and they said, this is great. And they threw it right in the trash and started over with the next <laughs> time she appeared. And it's that's the inconsistency that bothers me yeah. because I don't need to know everything about her. I get it. She was like a super spy in Russia that was programmed to, you know, she was like Red Sparrow or whatever. And we saw those ballerina scenes, but she wasn't really a ballerina. All that stuff like I get. Um, it's that like her personality doesn't even exist. So with no backstory and no personality, it's a lot harder to overcome. I mean, Hawkeye, we get a lot of it, but it's just boring. With her, it's like we we don't, it's not consistent. And so when they finally land on a version, a fusion of it where it all works, which I think was the last movie in this movie, they're finally there and now she's gone. So I guess I'm glad we're getting a prequel, but it is frustrating because they seem to keep yeah. doing this with women. I mean, even Scarlet Witch, we don't get her whole backstory. She changes a little bit from movie to movie and she's super overpowered. So they have to like, they have to, you know, silo her off until the final climactic moments. And I don't know. It just seems like we keep doing that with women, and and and, and in service of who? In service of Jeremy Renner. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> but I think where they start to thrive here is with characters like Valkyrie, where they yeah. allow the female characters to not just like on paper be shades of gray, but to like actually be like, no, she has a drinking problem. No, she's got she's like super like there's like there's like they allow the um, Iron Man flaws and the Thor 
sort of like humor and and they allow these sort of other shades to go into female characters as fluidly as they go into the male character. Yeah, she was, I mean, on paper, she's supposed to be a femme fatale, right? We're supposed to be getting all that old school uh, film noir, like, and there's a dimension of like misogyny to mm. that, right? Like, ooh, the dangerous woman, she'll seduce you and you won't know what, the, but it, it fell out so fast um, that it never, like, I sh- I don't need to know her backstory, but I should have been hungrier for it than I was. And like the beat in Endgame would have landed better if as the f- after that five-year jump, we did get a sense that she had settled into what felt to her like a legitimate family. The scene I like most for her in this movie is actually the scene with um, uh, with uh, Steve, with yes. oh, yeah. Steve Rogers when he comes in like that, and they're like fighting about the sandwich. <laughs> because actually I've never felt like there was any kind of, I don't know if it's their personal chemistry or what, but it never felt like it was ever headed towards a romance story for me. Like it does feel... Much more than the Hawkeye relationship, I feel like those two have a real sibling yeah. relationship. They felt like good coworkers, like they just who knew each other and worked together for like a lot, but like you know, but like close yeah, ones like work who way. like this. It felt like a real working relationship. Yeah, yeah. No, and I I actually agree with you, Anthony. I I low key like love that scene, and for me, that's when I'm like, yes, she's the leader. Like we see her communicating Wakanda with space, with also space, and with wherever War Machine is. Um, and she's got like this network of like other heroes that are also maybe by proxy Avengers now. Um, but I got more of a sense, like they're like saving the universe together. Um, and like reporting in and she's kind of like the, like, she's like Oracle. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of sidelined women, right? Like Okoye is like, I know retrospect when they left her off the poster. It's like, oh, well, I see why if someone saw the movie, they forgot yeah. she was in it. Right? I thought about that a lot. I was like, oh, now I see why she wasn't really on the her name wasn't there because boy do they not use her and what a shame like why save her from the snap just not to like if you have that resource use it like she's so compelling she brings such a different texture to this universe she's also like her grief is so different from everyone else's because it's actually like a weird it lets you stage so much of the geopolitical grief of this universe like actually what would it be like if the major like crown leaders of your nation yeah. disappeared. Like that's what she gives you. I'm such a shame. Yeah, I took bigger issue with that than Carol not being in it a bunch. I just wanted to know like what was happening with Wakanda, like who had been leading them for five years. I assumed and, it was her, but I guess that. we don't know if Angela Bassett's queen character was snapped or not. So it could have been her. Right. I don't think Angela knew because Angela said that Shuri had been, um, saved and that turned out to be a lie so i don't think angela herself knows oh. that she made it through <laughs> well actually i don't know that oh i guess there is a one establishing shot that the yeah. jury is missing right yeah. yeah um yeah like i mean so much of this so much of this universe is so unclear to me now like part of me is wondering i know that you're gonna hate this ian because it's jumping straight <laughs> to the end but like there's something so evocative and weird about that spider-man arriving back at school scene because it's like wait so half your classmates are now five years older half of them are done high school right like, yeah, i was gonna say i was like so the friend must have but the yeah that that was exactly i had this phone call where i was like wait a minute so everybody's Just like from like <laughs> a logistical perspective how did the like united states government or shield like run like we don't see any of that and um i, I think it's it's really it's interesting and it definitely there's going to be p- stuff to play with in it in the next like phase of the movies like the fallout from this or whatever i'm sure they will have weaved in but it did feel like a big hole because 
we're fighting to save the universe and we didn't even get a lot of time to see why it was so bad with everyone gone. I think you guys are forgetting the super, super amazing scene where they sh- crammed that awful uh, gay representation in. Oh, God. With, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it was like grief. With yeah. the Russos yeah. quite literally patting themselves on the back. And see, <laughs> I saw that. So I saw that scene before I saw them like jerking themselves off about it. And I thought it was a really nice scene but then once I, the, you know, two other, the two more times I saw it after when they, I had like read all these articles about them jerking themselves off, like, look, there's a gay character. Then I hated the scene. But when I first saw it, I really liked it because I thought, oh, this is a nice tender scene. Yeah. Of course, Captain America, because, okay, so this is my Captain America rant because we're here. So we might as well. Let's all take a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I love Captain America so much. And I feel like characters like him, like Black Panther, like Wonder Woman, and like Carol Danvers are so important, especially right now, because as a child, I know those characters would have been boring to me. As a kid, all of the like very heroic heroes who like want to do good, I always thought were like the most boring characters. But now as an adult and the world is bleak as shit, I really love those characters and think they're important. And Captain America, on name alone, has the ability to be a Trump supporter's fever dream, but he is not. And I think it's important to show he's in this PTSD group and he's not trying to be like, oh, you're like, oh, what a fad. You cried in front of a date, let alone the fact that you cried in front of another man. But he's just like, yeah, you did it. That's good. I'm proud. Like you took the first step. And for me, he's he's not like I feel like a lot of the characters, there's a lot of toxic masculinity that can be going on with them. But for me, it's like that makes sense with a group of like, you know, well-to-do white men that are superheroes that they would do that and i don't think he ever really partakes in that and i think that's on purpose because he wouldn't because i think his whole thing is that um you know i i don't i don't i know zero of the comics i only know what's in the movies but i would say his character in the films um is so good and i think the reason you loved it so much was um he's so resistant to change like he's dropped into this new time and he accepts everything the way it is Um, But he doesn't sort of like, you know, he's constantly confronted in Winter Soldier and Civil War and then these of like, well, well, we have to bend to fit this. And well, the way things are going now, we do have to do things a little differently, um, you know, socioeconomically and, you know, for, you know, for for protection, we do have to do this. And he just is kind of very stalwartly. No, there's there's like sort of an ultimate right thing to do at the bottom of everything he does. Um, And it's very, very resistant to whatever is happening in the moment politically. So I think it it made perfect sense that he would very, very calmly sort of listen to this man's grief and and obviously be uh, get right to the point of it and not be. Yeah. And so that that's what I love so much about him is all of that and i think that i i don't think prior to captain america i would have ever said chris evans had the range but he clearly well, does I think aside from like it being like super like fan servicey that's part of the reason why the elevator hail hydra scene is so great because just watching chris evans deliver that line is hilarious because it goes like i mean like i know yeah. it's the they pulled that from that awful run of comics but it, I, I think that landed better because of everything you just said, Ian, aside from being funny. <laughs> I mean, I notoriously 
very angry about that run of comics, but oh, it's, it's uh, trash. Yes, super <laughs> trash. I was just gonna say, I was waiting for you to say something. I mean, I, as a person who lately is sort of inside these 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 ships steer slowly is like the terrible way to say this, but um, what really bothered me about that scene as sort of like a splinter in the paw was that it felt to me like it was designed to do something a little cynical, which was the the steam has developed so much on the Bucky-Captain America relationship as like a metatextual shorthand that it you can't close Captain America's arc without in some ways addressing it. Like to me, this movie felt so much like a lot of long running series where suddenly things get super heterosexual, super hardcore, like suddenly we have to close off all these yeah. open like shippy relationships. It was never going to happen. We knew it was never going to happen, but they knew they had to put a bandaid on it. And to me, this felt like the bandaid, like, look, Captain America's straight, but he doesn't mind gays. And we can redub this when we release it in China, but it looks great <laughs> for now. Right? Like that to me felt like the work this scene was designed to do in a, in a familiar way. Like I, I feel like a lot of shows are starting to pull this kind of game where, um, they realize characters have chemistry or scenes have landed differently for audiences than they expected. And they now have to deal with the fallout of this similar thing happened kind of with Voltron mm-hmm. where it's like, we can't have this many gays on our cast. Let's add a new gay that the character we want to make straight is friends with. And that gay can quickly die. Like it felt like this sort of nameless support character is supposed to carry the burden of 22 year, 22 films and however many years of absent representation. It made it more obvious how absent it had been before then, like on, on screen, like how, like I mean, it just underlined all of the characters like Loki or Valkyrie or, you know, anybody who that we all were sort of just, you know, inferring yeah. this about. It just made it be like, well, here's the Herald, here's the, you know, the character, here's your own new Captain Marvel, your gays, it's this guy, <laughs> like, it's, it was extreme, it was quite, Also, was I think Captain America's the type of straight guy that would um, be totally okay letting me suck his dick, <laughs> so, for being completely <laughs> honest. Maybe a little yeah. wishful thinking there, Ian? I just, I feel like <laughs> I clocked that type of straight guy, like, immediately, I feel like it, that's Chris Evans's uh, personality coming through and also maybe some wishful thinking fuck off liza <laughs> i just think the fact that they used joe and like didn't even have the decency to like hire a gay actor at like, <laughs> yeah. bare 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 minimum like that's just so insulting to me i just felt like they were like well we're not gonna hire somebody if we're just gonna snip him out when we share this internationally oh i think they'll just redub it i think it'll just be he'll be talking about his wife i'm actually fascinated to see i would love to watch a cut of how this yeah. gets cut internationally i think it's just frustrating to have seen all those movies back to back and i was making lots of notes about who we're supposed to infer is gay like i was like you know jarvis is gay but vision isn't um it's it it's sort of like it was so glaringly absent and it was so we have so many characters at this point and then to get to that scene where like a straight guy is playing a gay character who says one line to set up captain america to do like speechifying and to like it, it was like a oh gay people have nothing to add to this fight and they have nothing to add to the like conversation or nothing to, captain america has nothing to learn from them he's just gonna speechify to you about like moving on and what he knows and then oh look this straight guy helped you out and it, it, in a world of like people being offering what they have to help like their perspective their powers their unique you know x factor the gay guy cries yeah like <laughs> a gay guy cries. 
we're gay and we're sad. Yeah, it's really, really frustrating. <laughs> but also in service of a macro arc for Captain America that is intensely nostalgically heterosexual, right? Like the final shot of this movie yes. is absolutely like, wouldn't it be nice? Literally, wouldn't it be nice to go back to the 50s and have your like picket fence um, in a story that, and I, this scene and the scene where Bucky. Oh, Anthony, like, we're about to fight. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I just I feel like one of the weirdest things in a in a franchise that is uneven chemistry wise is they recognized um, Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans had too much and started keeping them away from each other in a way that I find really strange. Oh, yes. Like there's so much crackling there. I mean, I'm not I'm not delusional. Like I know they would never go there, but um, at a basic not homoerotic level, but it is a homosocially romantic storyline between the two. They are each other's most important people. And then suddenly I'm supposed to remember, like he's already made out with her like niece. Like it's really strange that we've gone back. How does he explain that to her? Like, you know? <laughs> Which I had to do the math and make sure that the they weren't, it wasn't, Captain America wasn't like kissing his grandniece or something like that. Like, oh God, I didn't even think like, about that. I was like doing the time. I was like, I was like very rapidly like that was as everybody else in the theater was like, oh, cry. Like I was like, wait a minute, who is this biologically? I love that he also fucked over some other guy's happy ending, right? Like what's his name? Enver from um, Dollhouse who was strongly implied on the Agent Carter show to end up being her one true love, right? That we've seen her talk about even in these movies and those sort of like scenes in the Smithsonian where she talks about her future husband. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's a time. Tra- so I was talking to a friend of mine who like watches these movies as obsessively as we do. And the way that he because like I am an idiot and like the time travel thing is still just never going to be like make sense to me. So there is the main universe where everything is now good or whatever they fixed it but then there is like the universe where peggy marries enver like still exists like they no that's our universe this is it's like the this is actually the time travel model they're using in these movies is the very classic marvel universe time travel model which is you cannot alter the past Uh, instead you're altering the past or future of a different timeline so there's basically two timelines ours and the one that Captain America eventually ends up living in. He's right, yeah, the- it's split off. Yeah, so it's split off. Yeah, so Liza is right. But then how is he able to be an old man interacting with the current timeline? Then? The Russo brothers just recently said in an interview that they've alluded to the fact that, oh, he had a device that did bring him back um, to this universe. Like he had a universe jump sort of thing. What? That doesn't... <laughs> which I think is a total cop-out. Uh-huh. Uh, but... Makes me furious. Going back, God, we're we're fifty minutes into this podcast, and we have only talked about the opening and the very end. <laughs> Doing great. Jesus we're Christ. getting to the important stuff. We're talking about the gay stuff. We're talking about the important stuff. So wait, getting back to what Anthony said, so we can fight. I very, very, very rarely care about a romance plot, but I absolutely adore Peggy Carter, and for me, they are the only two people worthy of each other. Like for me. She, the only man that's good enough for her is Captain America. And for me, the only person that's good enough for uh, Captain America is Peggy Carter. I agree. Yeah. See, look, we agree, Liza. (laughs) I I figured you would agree with me. No, Civil War, I'm going to fight you. (laughs) But I do think they did a disservice by not having more of him and Bucky at the end, because literally the whole movie Winter Soldier is about how much he loves Bucky. So I do think we should have gotten more 
I don't know. They don't have to like suck each other's dicks, but like a like tearful <laughs> goodbye would have been at least made more sense. But in but but in some ways, having uh, an America that battles itself is uh, in complete denial about its homosexuality <laughs> and vaguely incestuous and nostalgic for the fifties is a perfect version of America today. Uh, <laughs> it truly is America's ass. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the time heist because we haven't even touched upon that. So act two of the movie. Well, wait, so I wanted to point out the things that also annoyed me in act one. I hated Tony blaming cap. And I felt like we were supposed to kind of agree with him. I don't know. I didn't love that. Um, But I liked Tony and Cap's reunion first, like when he's like, I lost the kid. I was like, don't remind me of that scene. I was really happy we saw more of Pepper. Uh, I really didn't think we would see her much in this movie. I thought it'd be like, oh, she sees Tony. She hugs him. And that's kind of it. She ended up being Um, the through line. Like the emotionally. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow has a lot to do all of a sudden. But right, because she hasn't had a lot to do since like Iron Man 3, which mm-hmm. was a while ago. Uh, to the point I was that glad... everybody I know was like, who is that kid at the funeral? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, loved the callback. Uh, but we will get to the funeral. New kid, Morgan. Yeah, they have a kid, which is cute. Um, I think they did a good job with child actor there because she was pretty charming. A lot of the new cast, I like that they've set up sort of this next generation. Like there's a lot of new kids on the board. We've got Cassie aged up for um, stature. We've got this like baby Hawkeye that is not really any version of Hawkeye we've ever seen before. But like suddenly we have a teen. We've yeah. got Morgan. Um, we've got Spider-Man. Like you kind of, you got, we've got Shuri. You kind of already have like the basis for a young Avengers team already in play, which is kind of cool. Says, says the man in on this panel who is writing a young Avengers story. (laughs) Well, tough to get my boys in there though. It's tough (laughs) to get wicked. Like at a structural level, introducing Scarlet Witch's teen twin sons would be very hard to do with just end game in play. But then again, we have one division. So yeah, I think now that they did the time heist and all of that, now they've like, upped the comic bookiness for me of the Marvel, the MCU, which usually stayed on the more like grounded in reality aspect of comics, which again, and I love Jessica Jones, but the Netflix shows tried like way too much to do Mm -hmm. because now moving forward, I absolutely will be annoyed how like so often in agents of shield or on like the Netflix shows, they'd be like, well, that's impossible. And it's like, you live in a world where <laughs> Thor and Hulk are real and there was an alien invasion in New York City. Please stop telling me you can't so believe So unsettling to get to Doctor Strange after having watched like do- over a dozen hours of movies in which magical things happen in New York City to see him like meet Tilda Swinton and she's like, you know, magic. And he's like, magic? That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like moving forward, they need to completely drop that. Like I don't want anyone to ever say they don't believe something happened i like that he was apparently now established in canon he was doing surgery while the the incident was occurring so yeah maybe he just comically keeps missing all these examples (laughs) like supernatural things happening (laughs) i really liked the moment where they did the i mean speaking to what you're talking about ian the moment where they do like the raise your hand if you have never been to space like yes it felt like a real opening up of the universe that was Um, cute in a literal way. So, okay, so the time heist. We're going to do we're going to go back to act 2 after doing act 1 and 3 a little bit. The band's back together, they're all and they've got these fancy suits, Hawkeye's, you know, tortured, blah blah blah. They do the time travel. That America's ass scene is absolutely gay rights. I could not believe that they were doing that. I was like, 
oh, I love that Ant-Man said it. And then when Cap was fighting Cap, I definitely was like, ooh, please kiss. Ooh, please kiss. <laughs> but like, I got like a second best. Cap, in a moment of queerness, checks out his own ass and is like, yeah, that's a good ass. <laughs> <laughs> I do think this is where the my first viewing, while I love the time heist, and I know it's your favorite of the acts, Adam, yeah. I do think this is where it gets real messy and like watching it, it distracted me the first time because I was like, wait, but like Loki just got away. So was he never, did he never have his arc of joining forces with his brother or, yeah. um, and like, well, like all Marie of- Kondo says, I love mess. Um, <laughs> so I was very excited, um, that this was an act where people were having fun. Cause act one is quiet. Act yeah. three is psychotic. Um, and act two is like, you know, medium shots exist in this act. Yeah. Yeah. Let's play with our powers a little. (laughs) We're going to get a little closer. Everybody's going to have like their own, like, I I love subplots. I love a good, (laughs) let's separate everybody. And then you're going to see them do separate things. I have to say, so I have like a really unpopular opinion about Thor prior to these movies. So I don't love Thor Ragnarok. I think it's fun. I think it's too... I know, I know. Get out. You're kicked off your own podcast. I don't love it either. I was going to say, Liza, please back me up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly fine and it's funny and it's Taika being Taika. And I'm going to throw you both into a cliff (laughs) and earn myself a soul stone or two. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Ian, you, like, with both (laughs) arms, love both Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Okay, I don't. I disagree with him there. Yeah, I think Thor, I think my issue with Thor Ragnarok (laughs) is, and the Guardians movies are good. um, I think my issue with Thor Ragnarok is it tries to be the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but with everyone being completely stupid. And I don't love watching Hulk and Thor become like stupid Mountain Dew drinking ditzy bros. I love it. For me, that's like not entertaining. (laughs) I felt like they were second for, yeah, they were seconds away from just like 69 Yes, I was like, this, these are the two guys who are like high five in their way right into each other's laps. No, I thought it was aggressively heterosexual right. and like no. in a fun way. And then I get even more mad that it gets credit for being queer when there's nothing queer about it. It just has yeah. wacky colors. You <laughs> Ragnarok is aggressively heterosexual and you're shedding a tear at the final five seconds of Endgame. How dare you? How dare you? I love that we have four, <laughs> we have four people screaming about men and then in the background just Valkyrie! <laughs> I'm trying. I'm doing my part. I would have loved if if she actually got to like have her moment of being bisexual. But the fact that it's just like, yeah. oh no, she's bisexual. We just don't address it. I knew she was bisexual as soon as she started shooting that cannon, though. Like <laughs> that cannon is bi representation. <laughs> like I I don't give anyone credit for queer things unless they're actually like. Mm-hmm. Unless they either say it or like, yeah. Well, so wait, you're telling me you'd walk out of Batman and Robin and say I'm giving this no credit for queerness? <laughs> yes. They don't actually touch dicks. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't want it to be like, ooh, are they or aren't they? No, I'm tired of that queer kind of media. I, I want it to be it. either they're sucking dicks or they're not. There's no like, especially especially since we know a scene exists that was shot yes. that says this, yeah. okay. and they said, and then they said, no, let's snip it, and then like two years later are like, you're welcome, you're first gay, like, and then yeah. it's crap. I just think Tessa Thompson is doing yeah. her best to try she to is. get So is Brie Larson. Brie Larson is doing so much heavy, like, her, yes. she so her Twitter much. account is just fan art of her and Tessa Thompson making out at this point. But I wanted to say, I loved Thor's scene with his mother. For me, that was the Thor closure I needed yeah. because 
same. I mean, I know no one really likes Dark World. I think it's yeah. fine. I do. Oh, okay, great. I think it's fine. I think it's... I don't hate I it. It's the best He-Man movie ever made. <laughs> I think Thor Dark World improves upon the flaws of the first Thor. Hang on. So what is your arc of criticism of the Thor movies here? Like, I'm trying to understand what Ian's ideal Thor movie looks like if you don't like any of them. <laughs> His ideal no, Thor I, movie I like is the Captain first. America shows up and says, I love Ian, and that's it. <laughs> I, so no, I actually like the, I, I feel like no one likes the first two Thor movies. I like them. I think the second one. I do. Okay. So see, I think the second one just improves upon the flaws of the, like the first one was maybe a little too serious aside from Kat Dennings, who I did miss and was hoping we would get a cameo from. I know there's like no way that was going to happen, but I thought she was a yeah, delight in the MCU. I, just, I loved the first Thor because it was these like two, like super super fun like jewish women just falling in love with this like north guy (laughs) (laughs) the representation i've been dying for okay so here's the thing like i have a soft spot for the thor movies and i think that they're better than people like to let on for like a billion reasons that could be a separate podcast and then i think that in endgame you know like they say it that like asgard's been destroyed like thor has lost so much then like, for him to have that closure with his mom and then immediately get, like, the hammer back is so touching. And, it like, it shows that, like, you can be depressed yeah. and you can be grieving and, like, you still got it, baby boy. <laughs> like, I yeah. think... I think that's really, really great. And I know that some of the fat jokes were like less than ideal to say the least, but like it showed that he was still worthy. And I, I think that fully, was really fully agree. And the set, my second viewing of this, I, the parts I missed it up the most at were Thor scenes. I think Chris Hemsworth did a yeoman job of like taking these silly, ugly kind of jokes and then found an emotional through line through it. And I think he nailed this line between intense humor and pathos and like a humorous moment would turn into a sad moment and then the sad would turn funny again. And again, I just thought it was so real and it was exactly my bag. And I just, just seeing him and in his, like my favorite scene with him was the, the mom stuff, but also um, when he's, when they ask him to like when they have everybody get up there and say all right the stone that you ran into what's your experience with the stone and he gets up there and just rambles but it all makes sense to him and he just is like oh yeah it was my girlfriend and she was you know my mom she's getting them it was it was so funny and sad at the same time it was just everything that i want out of like humor and pathos i loved it yeah i really agree i i I like the Thor movies when they are about sort of capturing this. Like, I like all of them for different reasons. I like the first one for being very much a Kenneth Branagh, like Wagnerian, like, let me just do like Ride of the Valkyries, but as a superhero movie. And then I like the way each film has sort of critiqued that more and more and sort of become this kind of, I like Ragnarok for its Kirby-esque kind of aesthetic, but also just for making him like a dumb jock, which is what he should be, right? Like, he is not a clever man (laughs) that's that's actually an important and quite charming thing about thor right is like he's kind of a simple beast and he's doing his best and i love this sort of i i agree the fat phobia stuff is not great but to me it also had this weird resonance like one of the only things we know about hamlet is that he's like 30 years old fat and he grew a beard like that's the only textual descriptions of hamlet (laughs) and there's like something hamlety and falstaffy about it like this person who has actually lost everything and it is manifesting as a physical depression and he's still just kind of 
pushing through I and doing so his seen. best and saying goodbye to yeah, his mom. It was the thing. It was yeah. like that. It was. Um, it yeah. just felt, uh, you know, of a piece of of that. Like you know, the jokes aside, like, but it still like did still feel like this was, like he's your kind of doofy old older brother who's also the popular high school guy who really didn't find his own way until he sort of put that whole identity aside yeah and i mean he's also one of the cool things about the way they've handled thor as an arc is he sort of has gradually started evolving the optics of his father right like losing the eye getting heavier growing the beard like it's all sort of moving him towards that very like cyclical norse like ragnarok's come and go right you always end up turning into your father and it's neat giving him this moment to be I mean, it's also her last day on Earth, right? Like, we know Freya is literally about to die. Yeah. It's just a very, it's like weirdly the emotional heart. It's the yes. most problematic scene and it, the most emotional scene in the film. It is kind of striking, though, that our physical transformations of grief are weight-based for Tony and for Thor, and Scarlett Johansson's character of Black Widow just dyes her hair. <laughs> <laughs> and telling that one physical transformation is like, coded with like you get gasps from the audience that how horrific it is like when he falls down um mm-hmm. with the iv he pulls out the iv and like yeah. and like thor is just the site of comedy which is criminal right like first not least because if chris hemsworth put on 40 pounds there's no power on this earth that could keep yeah. me away from him like <laughs> yeah. like the idea that this is ugly my- yeah it's, it's almost shocking because their attempts to shoot it as ugly like they were trying their hardest to make him look dumpy, and it was just the sexiest goddamn thing I had ever <laughs> it was seen great, in my living life. Like, it was one of those things where, like, kind of like the um, like the chemistry between Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan, it was one thousand percent accident. That no matter how hard they tried, the gays enjoyed it. Um, yeah. <laughs> because they think we don't like heavier like men or they think that we're like disgusted by a beer belly and uh shocking that they do not understand homosexuality in the least that's one of my favorite scenes i wish she hadn't ended it with eat a salad because i think that scene would have been absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. if it didn't end that way it's bananas that natalie portman has one of many cameos in the movie where it's a very famous person who says nothing in the movie <laughs> apparently it was dark world yeah role. she didn't even oh really she wasn't even there yeah i mean but okay but we do have a lot of other people who are in them like michelle pfeiffer has a no speaking five second oh, cameo yeah, my in husband the movie. who has never I mean, seen an ant-man movie it, was like michelle pfeiffer like, with, like, like in this Quiet moment. <laughs> Does he know that John C. Riley and Glenn Close are also in this universe? <laughs> uh, so it's crazy how many cameos I liked. I liked Tony's scene with his dad. Um, it was definitely like, oh, this is the end because you know Tony's been like his daddy issues have been apparent from the beginning. Are we supposed to think he's a good guy? I've never thought of Howard Stark as a particularly good guy. And it's like, all of a sudden I was like, yay, dad. Like, that's is another moment where I'm like. Well, they definitely turn him from like Walt Disney into like something else. Like at the beginning, he's, 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 we're supposed to be like, oh, he's Walt Disney for missiles or something. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, I don't know. Did you watch Agent Carter? I did. Yeah, I watched the whole. Sh- I mean, that's to me, that's also like a different coding. Like that's the Dominic Cooper version of him. Whereas right. to me, it felt like the narrative, like to me, the narrative of Howard Stark in this universe is the the terrible danger of what could happen to Tony Stark. Right. Like he could just become this soulless war profiteer who like neglects his son to the point of abuse. And like 
the flashback here was very like I always thought of it as like problematic. I mean, going back to Hamlet, right? Like problematic, distant father who you still love. It just it it felt like Mad Men. It just felt like he was like being like Dean Martin, yeah. being like I don't know how pregnant she is. She's this pregnant, I'm like just like easy, <laughs> but not like an evil guy. <laughs> Also, Anthony, you were the only person that would say going back to Hamlet. Sorry, I don't mean to do. I just mean like it, it's because it is. It's a movie called Endgame, right? It's hard not for me to think of these things as sort of the end of a mythic structure. And it's like I consider I consider Hamlet my favorite Shakespeare play. But with everything you've said, I'm like, have I even read it? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to do that. I just mean like I can't believe no, I that this. I'm surprised to see this father of all the fathers coded as like, oh, how nice to see him again. You know, like. <laughs> I think it might have just been they, they sh- for sheer amount of father time, screen time available. Like it was that or and you can't really bring back um, Thor's dad because it's a little too. OK. Yeah. So it was like, which dad could we go see? And of the ones we've seen, we, we killed uh, right. uh, Quill's dad. Yeah. We killed, like, and so it was like, I guess we'll go see Howard Stark. <laughs> like, it felt very question mark. And it, and I don't know, like, I get that, like, he has a daughter, too. So it was like a good mirror. But it was just after seeing him be an actual good father and knowing the level of abuse that comes out of Howard Stark. I mean, just like at a... Looking at this story, there's a weird arc we haven't even talked about, right? Like, because this is a movie that is so much about or like children. twenty arcs we haven't even well, talked about. <laughs> well, the other bad dad in this movie is Thanos, yeah. right? Like Nebula, yeah, Nebula's sure. whole plot is about resist and Gamora's plot. Insofar as the weird time displaced Gamora in this story has a story, <gasps> like their story is about resisting these poor fathers, and it seems weird. And like it seems weird when we're bringing all this much closure. It's like, oh yeah, good old Howard Stark, the weapons profiteer. Like, yeah. Who is casually in a basement looking for a Nazi, right? Like he's looking for Arnim Zola to talk. <laughs> I would have, like, honestly, I probably would have. I mean, it, it, this would have been a much, you know, scarier choice. But to have Tony run into his dad, same situation, same gotta get away sort of thing. But you know, in talking with him, realize, oh shit, I was abused for thirty years, and I'm already a better dad than. He ever was yeah, yeah i think that's a better choice yeah yeah i would have preferred that it felt it just felt messy like it, it the whole, i don't i don't know what i was supposed to take away about the nature of fatherhood or growth or you know uh i don't know parenting or i don't know what i was supposed to take away there's something to be said for the cleanliness with that is darth Vader. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i do think it would have I mean, I guess they couldn't because they wanted to very explicitly go back to when Peggy Carter was running S.H.I.E.L.D., but it would have made more sense if he had seen Dominic Cooper's version of his dad, because that, for me, that's the, like, the Agent Carter, Howard Stark, for me, felt like, oh, okay, we are getting more layers of this character. He is kind of just like Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. So for me, that Howard Stark is the one that I like, not John Slattery. Also, I can never see John Slattery and take him seriously. I don't know why I always and like i'm pretty good about separating people unless of course it's sam Michelle geller because i'm always like buffy but i always see him as that really stupid 30 rock character he played oh. where he's like oh. running for president <laughs> i thought you were gonna say the um politician yes, yes. Yes. Harry <laughs> <laughs> thank you that's my john slattery i mean but that's why you hire him right that's those are all versions of the same like failing upwards guy that he always plays right yeah. like, that was his Mad Men character yeah. too and yeah I, I agree with ryan that like this would have been much more satisfying if I had seen Tony decide 
not to do what his father had did and the thing he's always been afraid of doing, right? Like the critique Captain America levied about against mm-hmm. him way back was like, you're never going to make the sacrifice play. And he makes the sacrifice play in this movie. And it would have been nice for him to realize like, I am not going to be the selfish piece of shit who missed the birth of his own son. Yeah. I'm going to be a good dad, even if it means being a dead dad. Like that would have been a better story. It would have been that, and I think also like getting into the 2019ness of this, and because I think we were already on, we were on a good roll with that with Winter Soldier and into the other ones where, um, and they they mention in this movie, so they're aware of this where um, there's a you know it, when Winter Soldier came out, it was definitely like novel to realize oh there's nazis in the government <laughs> like <laughs> um and we were like why the, the government is the senators whispering a nazi word to people and um now that we know yes and now we now we know um and go into sort of the gray area of like well he's looking for zola down there was howard yep. Stark a nazi yes yeah um, and have him realize, because early, you know, Tony mentions it earlier in the time heist, and say, "Oh, we didn't know they were Nazis at that point," and realize, "Oh, my dad was a Nazi." Yep, and <laughs> really have that pop. Okay, I I will say I did like. I know it is a little retconning of Howard Stark's character. I liked it just because for me it was like he's had dad issues. He needed a nice scene with his dad. the same way Thor got closure with his mom, so he could move on. I feel like Tony Stark getting a nice scene with his dad felt final and it was final. And for me, that works. That's the only reason it worked for me just because I was like, Oh, like I knew that I knew Tony Stark. I, in my head, Tony Stark and cap were both going to die saving everyone. I thought they were going to do the guardians of the galaxy thing where they have to hold hands to use the power of the stones. If he Thanos, boom, they're dead. And I knew that this was the end for him at the very least. And so for me, I was like, okay, this is like what we need because he's always felt some kind of way about his dad. Let's have him have a nice scene with his dad so that he can feel better for himself. Like he, we were left, the scene leaves with Tony Stark feeling better about his dad. And while story-wise doesn't quite make sense, but in the moment for me, it landed because that's what we needed for Tony Stark, like in general, like his character needed that nice scene because he spent so much time with his daddy issues. Well, I think the arc was, but his arc isn't really like, do I like my dad or not? The, his arc is, am I a better man than my dad? And mm-hmm. that, I think, the way they went was more, oh, I have a good memory of my dad to, to go out with, yeah. um, which is sweet, but not the arc. Um, also, when we see Jarvis is the first, I didn't I didn't even realize this until someone, I think our season five guest, Brett White, wrote about it, that seeing Jarvis is the first time any character from one of the TV shows has been in a movie, which is like annoying yeah. because why the fuck haven't they been? But apparently that was the first time any actor has crossed over from the TV to the movies and not the other way around. But so talking about, you mentioned Nebula, um, for me, the moment past Nebula encounters future nebula is when it really gets messy for me that like all of that makes zero fucking sense and just because they said back to the future is bullshit doesn't mean it makes sense they said it a million times and she kills her past self so I, and she kills her past self. understand i know anthony i know you even explained it earlier in this podcast i still need it explained again how is she not dead how did she not vanish for a second she pulled the trigger it's like, okay, imagine it like this. Imagine you had two copies of the board game Monopoly 
okay? And like you switched your hat piece over to the other board game and like it knocked off the other piece of the hat. The other, the, the hat piece is still there. It doesn't done anything. It's just like they're just jumping from each other's timelines. Um, the movie plays a fast and loose game of suggesting it's really just one timeline, which isn't really true. But that's the thing that bothers me because they say that they explicitly like. So when <laughs> Tilda Swinton is, ex- which is so funny that we can't even, we don't even have time to mention every cameo. But <laughs> LOL, Tilda Swinton. I liked it. I can't. I have to say. No, I did. Yeah, I I liked. Like when she's explaining it to Bruce Banner, for me, she was one of the most unexpected cameos because I never expected them to call back to Well, mostly because they got so much flack for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, remember when we did this? Here she is again. (laughs) (laughs) I liked that scene and she explicitly, they make, like they have a scene of someone saying, you can't create alternate timelines. Like you can't. And they say, we won't. And then they do. <laughs> I just, I, I wanted, I, I felt like a much easier solution would just be to Rick and Morty it. They just go to another yeah. universe where everything is fine. <laughs> they kill their other selves. Well, I, I think if they had used, like, if the language they used was a little less, we're going in through time and more like, we're going to another, par- like, a like use more parallel universe yeah. talk than time. Oh, yeah. Talk. That would have made more sense. Yeah, that's a better, that's a good script note, I think. <laughs> Moving into Act 3, finally, at an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast. So a point of contention to point out, to say point again, none of the women come back from the time heist, which is fart noise. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, not great. And I, I do like Nebula. It would have been better if she could have convinced her past self, like, no, like, look, we have a family now. Like, we're part of the Avengers. And her past self was like, you're fucking right. Let me fight with you. I would have liked that. Like a double nebula attack. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not, right? Like, I don't know. We had Cap fighting himself and checking out his own ass. Why can't we have two nebulas? Marvel Comics have absolutely had like 10 of the same character due to time Yeah, they could have just cast Aya Cash, put her in the nebula costume, and I would have known the difference. (laughs) I don't know who that is. I love you. She's an actress who looks exactly like Karen Gillan. (laughs) So they get there, they reverse the snap, I re- I did. I'm not gonna lie. I like. I really liked that scene. I liked that Hawkeye's wife calls him. I thought that was a good. I know. I know. We already talked about how we don't love Hawkeye, but I thought that was a good way of showing us. Yeah, I liked that moment. Yeah, they also very tastefully killed his family. <laughs> <laughs> and when I have to say, when Ant Man is looking out the window, and it's. I thought that was such a good moment because it's like he's so happy because he sees that they you know, did the thing. He knows, you know, his partner's back. And then it he gets blown up by Horrifying. a fucking missile. <laughs> I thought that was such a good moment. And also I was terrified that Ant-Man was dead because I felt like, ooh, he's disposable enough that they don't really need to make more Ant-Man right. movies. So I did get momentarily tricked into like, <gasps> he's dead. But like second and third time you watch it, you see him shrink as it, like you see him shrink as it hits. So he doesn't, get blown up um but either way it's, it's a comic book movie so sure they can all survive a blast i don't care i was like, not prepared for how emotionally upset i would get watching um rocket slowly drown oh no i know oh. right i was like in the theater both times being like everybody to stop what they're doing and lift that rock off him like right now like i like, <laughs> i know when he's like i can't well, breathe i'm like no you i know it's funny thing. because like he's so like baby herman cigar chomp and yelling at everybody joking the whole movie and yeah. then he's just like help and i'm like we no he's like really in trouble like <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that like it was right, and I he Bradley Cooper's change in his voice because he wanted to show that Rocket was terrified was I don't know it was really good. Bradley Cooper, one of our best yeah. voice actors after this, <laughs> and a star is born. Who knew you could play Rocket to me like a thousand times, and I would never come up with the name Bradley Cooper as being the person voicing him. Like I don't hear any of him <laughs> right? in it. I was a little dismayed we didn't get a nice. I feel like the audience has so much affection for Groot that it's kind of strange that it blows right past that Groot comes back. Like, it's never mm. a big thing. Yeah. I really actually really like the moment where Rocket, sort of the flip side of the drowning, where he, like, reaches for Nebula's hand. It's, like, so it was... sad. <laughs> there was so, much, there was so much tender raccoon stuff in this that I was just like, hey, you guys, you got me, gal. Like, I couldn't believe how many times that raccoon made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, out of context, I can't believe how many times that raccoon made me cry. No, I mean, that, I mean that's why the line that uh, Black Widow has, the I get emails from a raccoon. I mean, that's and that's your world building ask right there is she's like, yeah. she's like, I'll believe time travel. I'll believe this, that I talked to a raccoon over email. Like it was. And that should be how all of them react from here on out. Like, I don't want anyone saying, oh, that's impossible because bullshit, nothing is impossible in this universe. Yeah, the more comic booky the characters and the world get, the, like, more rock hard I get for <laughs> these movies. I Like, the introduction of time, introduction of time travel slash parallel dimensions already takes us to a real weird, like, place. And it makes me really excited for the stuff they could do. Um, especially dealing with superinflation, where you know you've you've got universe-wide consequences. How do you top that? I think you you can top that with some more like bigger, more comic booky, messy time travel stuff that I um, love. I do. We forgot to mention this, but when her and Hawkeye are climbing that cliff, and she's like, "But the raccoon didn't have to climb a mountain," <laughs> and he's like, "Technically, it's not a raccoon," and she's like, "Whatever, eats trash." <laughs> My f- I thought of you, Anthony, every time, by the way. <laughs> Actually, my favorite raccoon joke is when he's running from the Asgardian soldiers and they also think he's a rabbit. Yes, it's like <laughs> because- an Asgardian thing. <laughs> because, of course, the Asgardians have no sense of, like, I mean, as, like, Scandinavian gods, they don't know the New World, so they don't know raccoons. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so they consistently misspecies him as a ra- as a rabbit. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I was just very proud that Rocket was the first and only Avenger to very flawlessly get his stone. Like, he was pretty much like, yeah. I'm following the plan, got the stone, yeah. I got the stone. Everybody else was like, oh, I had a setback, I had some bullshit happen. <laughs> I thought that the heist stuff would have been more effective if we had like seen their planning of the you heist want a, a little bit more, like, want... like exactly, mm. yeah, like like a Ocean's Eleven style montage. But um, I will say that it did kind of click for me that when because rockets went so flawlessly <laughs> that when everybody else's was going wrong, I was like, oh, there was a plan. They're just like not right. able. To they just can't. It. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Rocket was the only one who was just like, great, we're good, let's go. <laughs> Actually, my favorite sequence yeah. is probably the kind of montage we get where they're all making notes about the stones and like they're all just it felt like it felt like they just took what was happening in the writer's room and put it right on screen where they're like wait so who has this yeah when is that and like like the moment where um uh black widow realizes three stones are in new york felt like something someone really just sort of realized in the room and was like let's just make this dialogue like i really like that sequence (laughs) a lot yeah it was very like willow and giles library where the writers would just be like here's our exposition dump here you go we're in the writer's room this (laughs) is what you need to know great (laughs) moments like just of just really kind of 
little fourth wall breaking things. They're just like surrounded by Chinese takeout containers. She's like, what kind of doctor was he again? He was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian, was it you who tweeted that Scarlett uh, Johansson watched Gaga at a star is born? And was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> no, but I love the idea. <laughs> Someone did. Someone tweeted that Scarlett Johansson watched A Star is Born, saw Gaga, and then started playing Black Widow as Ali. <laughs> I wanted to point out that when Thor uses his hammer to like put on his costume, he also gets a braid in his yeah. beard. He gets this like, gets that, like, this, like uh. fancy lady hair. Like it's really like braided <laughs> and tender. I braided his beard hair and I and I styled his quaff and I gave him a kiss on the cheek and I said, "Now go to battle, my man." Right. He's like, "I'm gonna put a caftan on and marry a man in a lake." And like, I he is like absolutely such a dream in this movie. <laughs> I think that battle was cool. I was kind of glad we got the three of them. I thought it was weird that we didn't have Hulk there since they're supposed to be like the four main guys. It is weird that Hulk's arc basically ends between the cut of the five years later, right? Like, yeah. he's now just like this, like, avuncular, like, he's got it all sorted out. He has no real, he's kind of sad Black Widow's dead, but not, oh, like, he'll be okay. Like, he could yeah. kind of just have, like, a rom-com movie now, and I would watch the hell out of it. But, like... I, <laughs> like, I thought it was just because everybody else was so conflicted, I was very happy to see this very self-actualized, happy <laughs> Hulk being, like, because every time he showed up, he was smiling, and he was like, here's your tacos back. Like, it was all the, like, little... <laughs> yeah, it was like... It's like we watched him slowly come out of the closet. Yes. Oh, you can't get him down. Like, that scene in the diner with the kids is so charming. Like, I can't even tell how much of it is improv because, like, he and Paul Rudd are so good together. Like, when he's, when he's like, he's even smiling as he says no. It's like Paul Rudd's amazing yeah. line. But, um, yeah, he's, like, done. His story is over. He's, like... If there's more movies, he's going to be like Beast. He's like the comic book version of Beast, right? Like yeah. he's yeah. sort of he helps out in the lab. If you ha- if he has to fight, he'll fight. Although it looks like his arms damage will be permanent. But yeah, yeah he's kind of done. I found that strange. I guess the Hulk didn't have much of a story to tell after all. Well, I mean, yeah. I, pretty, I mean, he was pro- they were probably just like, listen, we're not making a Hulk movie. He's done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. Yeah, they were like, listen, Liv Tyler's moved on. There's lots of other projects. In her <laughs> but then future. weirdly, they bring back General Thunderbolt Ross from the that's i still think that's like such a weird movie i love it because it's like the story of america is these like raving frothing at the mouth maniacs have now migrated into being like secretary of state like (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's so funny like they're they're really in love with bringing him back for these movies that i know they need like someone plot wise to just very bullheadedly be like i don't care if thanos is snapping away people we've got to follow this military procedure (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um so captain america picks up the hammer and i was wet let me tell you i've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that goddamn scene picks up that hammer and uses it like a fucking pro i was just like "Ooh, it's his first time and he's still fucking great at it because ooh, my man knows what he's doing all the time that was my favorite part of like i think being in the theater surrounded by people like that gas yeah that like was just so wonderful to be a part of and that was like kind of like aside from the fact that i loved what i was watching like it just made me feel very like connected to this like community that yeah. has been watching these fucking movies for 10 <laughs> years listen i loved it for so many reasons like i freaked out i didn't even know it was the payoff that i wanted i i felt connected i felt <laughs> infinite but i did also think chris hemsworth is like 
So they're trying to make me look unattractive, and then they gave that guy my <laughs> hammer. Like, uh, how truly screwed he must feel. But it was it was such a good payoff. I was like, yes, wield that yeah. hammer, Daddy. You can do this, Daddy America. And I haven't rooted for America <laughs> like that in, in 30 years. <laughs> and honestly, I think my favorite part, and I don't think it's because, like, I think, like, comic book resources called it, like, the unofficial introduction of A-Force, which pissed me off. Mm. But the scene where you know like carol meets peter and the hey peter parker mm. is adorable it is. And no. you have all the women and i just like i know it was just like one scene and it doesn't actually mean anything and whatever but it was just so nice to see all of them especially pepper in this yeah and like yeah i just like I don't want to give them more credit than they deserve for right. it but i really fucking <laughs> loved it it just highlights how badly yeah, exactly. we need yeah. more of it because yeah. it such a, it felt so good. And you know what would feel even better is if they let them yeah. team up for a fucking yeah. movie. I, yeah. So I will say, so now that we're onto that part, when Falcon is in his ear and is like on your left, uh, that was like, I just got chills yeah. even saying that because for me, that was like, oh, this is a comic book. Like this is such a comic book because I didn't know that I would... I went into the movie not knowing we would get the payoff of seeing everyone that had been snapped, but we did. And for me, that was so gratifying. And I loved that it was uh, Black Panther and Shuri and Okoye coming in first. I love that it was them. Because for me, Black Panther is like kind of like a lot like Captain America. They're both like very upstanding dudes who want to do well because he got like because again it was like having them come in in this very first quiet moment of realization yeah really let the audience have their big whoop moment because it was just it was a real because you know this character like more than a lot of the other ones more than like peter quill or whatever like means yeah. something and yes. have, have yeah. that moment of just like re- that's a victory like this is someone who needs to be back yeah i for me i like <laughs> i started tearing up i mean i teared up at him i peered teared up at everything but like when they came in i started crying and i was just like this is everything i've ever wanted at a, and it was such a comic book thing like all those like bajillion portals and like everyone coming out and like i don't know if y'all just saw like i think yesterday someone tweeted that like Howard the Duck is literally holding a blaster <laughs> behind the wasp. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that. Like I, I almost wanted more and I, Liza, you might agree with me. I, I, so I'm still in uh, a full season behind him, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's weird that no one from S.H.I.E.L.D. showed up, like not even Nick Fury. Well, it's kind of weird that Jessica Jones had a prior engagement, <laughs> <Right>. apparently. <laughs> I was like, oh, how cool would that have been? Like, fine. Only show them once, right? Show Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil just stepping out of a portal. For me, that would have been yeah. cool. And it would have like made sense since all of them, right? Like this is the end of this era and all of them were part of it. And there's no way that everyone wouldn't have at least like... I mean, Doctor Strange lives on, what, Bleecker Street? Isn't that where they say he lives? Yeah. In the village. So, like, he would totally know about at least, like, I, I mean, right? He would know about these characters. He lives in New York City. There's... No, 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 no. You're, you're, you've forgotten you've forgotten that Hell's Kitchen is an entirely <laughs> separate city. <laughs> that is nowhere near New York City. Think about how much this would change the world if, like, first of all, people disappeared, but then they came back. Like, 
property. I mean, it's literally the leftovers. Yeah, like think of like the trauma of it. Like you would have half the population who survived <laughs> and permanently has the trauma, and half who are just like, "Hey, we're back." Who have been disowned? Like people have remarried. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you turned your baby room into a gym <laughs> and started life as a single dad, and then the baby's yeah. back. Like, do you think they'll care, or do you think they'll pretend? Basically, this didn't. Like when Spider Man comes out, do you think this will be part of the texture of the universe now, or do you think it's just like? I think they're gonna. I think they're fully gonna give us one or two movies where we're dealing with that those issues, and then for every other character that appears after that, it's just business yeah. as usual. Yeah, I, I I was thinking that moving forward with the TV shows, how <laughs> they're probably never like maybe on Agents of Shield they'll mention it, but I don't think they'll mention it in Jessica Jones season three. Unless it's like a passing yeah. line, like, oh, remember when we were dusted? Well, I we're mean, back now. Okay. Cloak and Dagger is airing right now, and it just doesn't ex- like exist at all, even though it technically sort of does because it's connected to the Runaways, which technically sort of does. And they're just not like, mm-hmm. there's no connection. And whatsoever. we haven't even mentioned the fact that. Like in for the next phase, we're gonna be pulling in Fantastic Four and possibly the entire X Men <laughs> universe, even... who may or may not have been snapped or not been mutated yet. Or, <laughs> we have no clue. It's gonna be absolute chaos, and I can't <laughs> fucking wait. I'll say one thing about that. It all if if you're confused, it happened in a parallel timeline. Done. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess we're at the end. Ryan, what's your favorite scene? My favorite scene of the movie, um, I, I, I guess I, I would have to go with the montage, but as a close second, very close second, is Captain America checking on his own ass. I, it, it, <laughs> it was queer. It was time travel. It was weird. I love when we get to things where there's multiples of different people and stuff like that. So that was great. Anthony, what was your favorite scene? Oh, um, I think it's the Freya scene. I, I'm... Yeah, mm. I think that it's I think it's the most I, I just finished writing a Freya scene and she's such a fascinating character to me. She does so much interesting because she's you're not supposed to notice her, right? Like the movie actually even the movie itself has to remind you who she is, that she died, right? And like having this sort of emotional payoff come from her character to me is so interesting and valuable. Like great work from Renee Russo, great work from Chris Hemsworth. Um it's bonkers and it's fascinating and it's weird. And I, I cried like a baby. I loved it because I think, like, I think I read somewhere that Rene Russo has more lines in this movie than the other two movies. Combined. Oh, really? Oh yeah. I believe. Yeah. Where they, 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 that was like the gag of her being back was very much a non-entity almost in the other ones, but like to have like her get this kind of final send off and, and to, to be the one person who doesn't need to be told, Oh, these are time. Yeah. People. I like that. <laughs> I was, I was so fascinated. Adam, what's your favorite scene? No, my favorite scene was, um, I would say it was, um, it was definitely, uh, Thor pitching how he knew about the reality stone to, to a baffled <laughs> tr- struggling to be patient team. But I would say a, probably a, probably a close second is, um, I just I really loved the anything with Tony Stark and, and Peter Parker together. I think I think the hug and the this is oh, nice yeah. line was just like oh, yeah. extremely extremely good because he's just so I'm baby and <laughs> to have like to have really this whole I mean really this whole story is because of that relationship between yeah. Tony and Peter because Tony was not on board a stitch of this until he saw that 
picture frame of yeah. of um, the, who he lost. The bookend of Peter watching Tony die is so sad. Like I, Tom reverse. Holland can make me cry oh, so easily. <laughs> I'm thinking about it right now, crying. Like I just, just I, I just, he's so tender and like it's so like it's so. I think just the whole thing of like. Like, because Tom Holland lives at this sort of intersection of like, oh, you know, Twinkie guy, and then everybody's son. Like, there's this yeah. whole thing when he's in battle that I'm just like, oh, careful, everybody, be careful. Yeah. I mean, be careful. it's hilarious yeah. to me that uh, he, it's his danger that triggers the like a force shot, right? Like, Peter Parker's in yeah. danger. Every woman in the Marvel universe shows up <laughs> yeah. to protect. I, think, him. I thought it was so great, and, and just his whole like, I think he just he's like the perfect kid to like be like yes please protect me amazonian women yeah. like like he's just so like yeah he's like a golden retriever he's like a he's like a puppy he's like let me live in captain marvel's pocket i'm ready <laughs> i mean same though <laughs> liza what's your favorite scene i mean obviously i love thor's closure I, but i screamed about that i just there's something about carol and her lesbian haircut with the bad wig meeting peter parker that really stuck with me and then the women but i th- think my very very favorite is cap wielding mohilner and thor just being like oh i fucking knew it and <laughs> then was just a great like moment cap, for like, thor too because like in like, age of ultron he's like pissed and triggered that he holds the hammer and now yeah. like because he's gone through this arc and he's like set that dude shit aside he still makes him wield the little one though <laughs> there's that yeah, moment yeah <laughs> completely <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. he's like fuck you i'm taking stormbreaker <laughs> Uh, this is why Liza's my favorite because we share the exact same favorite moments. <laughs> because yeah, that cap picking up that hammer is like makes me proud, makes me aroused, makes me happy, makes me cry. Like ah, gives me every feeling I could possibly have, and it's just I think it's done weirdly. Like it's weird to say it's organic, but it really felt like this makes sense. We knew he was worthy. He's been worthy. He's always worthy. I, that and then all the women was such like a them specifically protecting Peter Parker. And yeah, I don't know what it is about Brie Larson's kindness, but when she's like, hey, Peter Parker, it's just like, ugh. The way she delivers that line is like the quintessential, like why I love yes. her. Like I, I'm like <laughs> the line delivery. I know it's like three words, but it's just perfect. Well, I, yeah, it's, I think that line it's really perfect. pops too, because she's so like stern meeting everyone else she's like yeah yeah well what were you doing how about you and i got some salt for you too and this and that and then she sees this guy and she knows instinctively to be soft with him yeah it's so tender i mean she has an oscar for a reason she also has eyes and he's clearly uh, baby Bree, marry me. <laughs> she has like a really like badass lesbian look funeral yes, look yes. i don't know if you all caught that yeah oh it was it was very um, Hillary at a state. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like R.I.P. This guy I met for five minutes, right? Yeah. 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 Really? I want yeah. this next like Captain Marvel movie to start at the funeral like uh, reception, like it, everybody's eating cake or whatever, and she's just like fingering some woman across the table, like <laughs> I don't give a shit about grief. I'm the power lesbian now. <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> we're okay. So now we're gonna do grade slash where you think it would fall with other Marvel movies. And let's try to do it in like five words or less because oh boy, that's a long episode. Anthony, where would what would how would you oh. grade slash rate this episode? I'm so well known for being five words or less. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like. I was surprised how much of a coda it is. Like it is sort of mournful and downbeat, even though the splash at the end is so big. Um, 
I mean, I feel I almost want to grade the three different internal movies separately. Right, yeah, <laughs> but it's I mean, it is it is a good close to this universe. Um, I guess it's an A, A minus. I've already voiced my grievances. All right. And uh, Adam? Um, I would agree. I think it's high tier. I would say A, A minus. I, I honestly like my beefs with this are very minimal compared to like the storytelling gravitas that I feel like I got out of the rest of it. Um, my only thing is like, I do kind of agree with Anthony that I don't super love Cap going back in time because I don't think that, uh, I don't agree with the Peggy Carter stuff, but, um, I would, and I also am very like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty gagged at Steve Rogers going from this very, for lack of a better term, like socially progressive time back to the fifties. And I'm like, is he just like, okay with everything that happens in the fifties and sixties onward? Um, or is he just like kind of winking at everyone being like, don't, don't worry, you'll get it later. Um, but, um, I would say like beyond sort of like the sort of greater implications of everything. I think this was just a win. And I like the idea of cap going back and like living a low key progressive life, like mentoring a gay teen and like, (laughs) yeah, I know, like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, like, sort of being like, yeah, caps through the first brick of Stonewall. <laughs> <laughs> Liza, what's your favorite? What, where do you grade this? I think for to, for it to take 10 years and for them to get where they were going, it was as good as it was possibly going to be. I think it was an A, and I think that, like, obviously there were parts that I didn't like, but the parts that I did like are what I'm thinking about more. So. Right. Ryan? I think I have to give it an A, and I think it's because, and I, and I don't know how it would fall in like my official ranking when I've had time to digest everything, but I do think this is the movie where a lot of the other movies, I felt like I was watching a superhero movie, which is what it is. Um, and then it was like Thor Ragnarok, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, some of those later movies that I was like, oh, they're comic books. They're motion comic books. <laughs> and like that excitement took me way, took me to a new level of fandom. So I, I think this is the movie where it just truly is like you've got the trade paperback and you're like up at late at night with a flashlight over your shoulder, just trying to find out what happens to the whole universe. And that was this movie for me. And other movies I'd started to feel that, but this was when it all clicked and I was just. It gave me so much appreciation for the older movies, and it set me up to really love whatever Silver Age nonsense we get up to in the next chunk. All right, so I actually, after we saw it the second time, I saw it with some coworkers. Anthony, I took your uh, method of grading, because I was like, well, here's my grade for the movie, but in grading it for achieving what it set out to do, <laughs> and I like heard myself becoming you. Oh no. <laughs> I'll have to shoot you in the, in the chest and replace you in the skyline. <laughs> and it won't even matter. <laughs> so I think I give it a B, but in achieving what it set out to do, I give it an absolute A because I don't think there would have, I mean, the time travel stuff really bothers me. I, I get annoyed at thinking about it too much, but the second and third time, it really didn't bother me. It only bothered me the first time. I do think it's messy. It, some of it isn't great, but some of it's really fucking fantastic. Uh, they definitely, like, I don't know that there could have been a better way, there better a better bookend. Like, I don't know that there could have been, right? I don't know that there would have been a more gratifying one. I didn't even expect to see every character we lost. I thought like, oh, maybe we'll see Spider-Man and Tony Stark have a reunion, but that's it. Like, I didn't think it'd be, oh, everyone is there to fuck up Thanos and his army. 
Uh, and that was just extremely gratifying. And like Ryan said, a motion comic book. It was absolutely a comic book. So yeah, I give it like a B, but in achieving what it's set out to do, I give it an A. Thank you all for joining us. Um, thank you all for listening. If you like SlayerFest98, you can follow us on Twitter at SlayerFestX98. If you like us, you can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Feel free if you like us to rate and subscribe to us. And you can subscribe to our Patreon where you can get special mini episodes, which really helps with doing everything for the podcast and getting it all done. And if you want to follow me on social media, on all platforms, I am Ian X Carlos. Liza, where can everyone find you? I don't want anyone to follow me. I want people to go follow Wendy's and like the tweet where they're going to bring spicy chicken nuggets back. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. True hero. Uh, Ryan, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Ryan Houlihan. Um, in i have another podcast and whatever other nonsense you're an adult it's the internet you you can find me if you want to find me <laughs> uh adam uh you can follow me on twitter at the adam sass uh and my profile page will link you to all the things that i would love you to do to help me out like your upcoming like my upcoming ya novel which is coming out next fall Yay. and um yes um so it's not available for pre-order yet but you can go to goodreads and if you don't have a goodreads your facebook can make one for you and add it to your want to read list and that super 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 helps new authors out especially um marginalized voices. Yay. uh anthony where can everyone find you uh, you can find me at Mia Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A, bad Latin pun, uh, on Twitter and basically everywhere. And by the end of the month, you can find me at comic book stores. I will be in uh, War Scrolls number two for the Marvel War of the Realms crossover, telling a story called My Drag Brunch with Loki with uh, Wiccan and Hulkling. Anthony, you're living my best life. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, I heard about this yesterday and I'm like, <laughs> uh, all right, thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.